Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Fat Guy Forum. I don't know why I just said those words out of order. I sound like an idiot. Um, This is a very special episode because we're trying something new. And that is, you know, once a month or so, I would like to not just share the stories of my guests, but actually dive into the topics that over over the year and a half that I've been doing this podcast, we're coming up on two years soon, I have noticed that there are similar themes that come up in people's stories. And I want to start digging into like why these themes evolve, where they come from, and maybe kind of shed some light on, on some of our experiences with them and things along those lines. So we are going to be doing these special episodes. If you are a Patreon subscriber, which you can get to by going to patreon.com slash keto, you will actually help to shape the direction of these special episodes. I'll be posting the theme ideas and getting feedback from Patreon subscribers. We're also going to be making some changes to the Fat Guy 5 really soon. And I'm going to be allowing the Patreon subscribers to be the ones that lead that direction as well. So if you are not yet a subscriber to the podcast, and I use the funds from the Patreon, they go exclusively to paying for the subscriptions that are involved with the software and the technology behind the podcast and just making it a better experience for you, the listeners. So if you would like to help with that, again, go to patreon.com slash keto, get yourself signed up. And now let's get on to this episode. And with me today, I have someone who's been on the podcast several times before. Uh, he's not yet approaching the record for most number of appearances on the, on the Fat Guy Forum, but he may get there soon. And that is Anthony Domenico. Anthony, how are you doing today? What's going on, Gormy? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad that you are here. When I had this idea for this episode, you were the first person I thought of because people may not know this about you, but you are a comedian. Yes. Uh, and starting again for about a year, we were shut down. Um, but yeah, comedy's coming back. And uh, I, did my, I did a show uh, last week for the first time in a couple of months. Um, it very sporadically, I did shows over, over the pandemic, but, uh, getting back to the swing of things and yes, comedy is back. I am a stand-up comedian. Uh, I can say that again, proudly. Right. So I, and the reason I thought to have you on the episode is because one of the things I think that I hear a lot when I talk to my guests is that growing up, they take on this role of being the funny fat guy. And I, I wanted to dive into that a little bit, get some of our thoughts and also talk about how the idea of the funny fat guy plays out in our culture, in pop culture, and what that even ends up looking like. And we've got some special little bits we're going to talk about as we go through this. And when we get to the end, you're going to hear Anthony and I actually share with you who we think our top five funny fat guys are, which I always ask that question, who your favorite fat guy is. And I think most people go to someone either from film or comedy or something along those lines. You know, it's, it's rare that I get, you know, the person who picks someone they're like it's my uncle joe like it's always we the big two are always um john candy or chris farley yeah. so we're gonna mine's dive the, into mine's the guy at 7-eleven drinking coffee there mm-hmm. at seven o'clock in the morning uh, right <laughs> like smoking cigarettes playing lotto that's my favorite fat guy and i'm not saying it's it's anyone picks a wrong answer obviously no i know gonna, it's, that, it's never that guy so. it's never it is never that guy i mean like you know it's it's one of my favorite questions to ask people so i thought it would be fun for us to dive into a little bit of that as well but Funny fat guys, like that's something that a lot of guests on this show have come on and they talk about this idea that they develop this persona. Usually it's a part of self-protection. You know, it's that idea that you make the joke before someone else does and you protect yourself by becoming the funny fat guy. Like what you and so you not only were the funny fat guy, you turned into the professional funny fat guy. 
Like, what, yeah. are, what are some of your thoughts when I first kind of brought this topic up to you and we start talking about what it means to be the funny fat guy? It's true, because, I mean, every, you know, a lot of the, the fat guys I knew growing up, they, they had a great sense of humor. They were quick for it with a joke. My, my best friend, Nick, who I joined WW with, uh, was a big guy himself. And he's, I think, is funnier than me as far as, like, offstage. Uh, he was one of the funniest guys I ever met and still is one of the funniest guys I ever met. Uh, and, yeah, you, you develop that, that sharp wit early on because – you know, kids are cruel and you start getting, you know, the comments as a kid. But if you can go back with somebody and hit them even harder, they hit you that they're not going to uh, really match it that much. And I'm lucky I, I wasn't bullied as a kid. And maybe that's because um, I'm, I'm unpleasant and I could say something 100 times worse than what they were going to tell me. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. I've met I have met you in person <laughs> and you, sir, are not pleasant. No, I, I, you know, as, as a comedian too, like I just, I, I don't like hecklers and that's probably where I, I've gotten it the worst as far as people making fun of my weight is from, uh, uh, from hecklers. I, I got on stage one time and this guy in the front row, I hear, I hear a guy go, he goes, Hey, you're fat. I go, well, thank you. I didn't know that until you told me. That's very nice of you. I looked down, he's got like three teeth. looks like he drove his house to the show. I'm like, I just, I went off on him for like 10 minutes because it was just like, and that's probably where I got it. You know, that's when it helped me develop that. Because I got heckled my first night on stage ever by somebody making fun of my weight. And that's really where I got it the worst. I didn't get it in school. But developing that that muscle early on, I guess lack of a better term, fat guys and muscle. Um, but, yeah, I developed that early on. And it just, I'm, I'm quick. And the only, well, again, we're using words that really don't go hand in hand with each other. But uh, as far as my... Uh, comebacks are quick uh not, not running though no, i'm not gonna run fast well we know that <laughs> we're, we're all pretty aware of that and let's for people that aren't aware of your story anthony let's let's give them the elevator speech like what was your your heaviest weight you kind of bring them into the loop of like who you are so my my heaviest weight i, I was 583 83 uh, 580 yes 583 i know you and you and uh, a couple of friends of ours like to debate that but uh, you can look at my WW book or app and 583, uh, May 1st, 2017, I joined WW. And actually um, came up on my Facebook today was the WrestleMania that me and my friends, we, we always dress up every year. And these were the pictures that I looked at and was like, I, I have to do something. Like I saw them again today, like from, from, from four years ago, I was like, and it still took me almost a month to, to get into the door. Um, I'd left it wide open there for you. Ooh, <laughs> I, I, I was trying. I, I was trying to be the pleasant one and not go right for the cheap jokes. Yeah, that's right, right, wide open there. Um, but yeah, um, I, unlike and the I joined door. and uh, unlike the door, and then you know, over the last four years, I, I've dropped two hundred pounds. Um, it was a little bit more before the pandemic. I put I put a little bit of weight back on, but. Uh, just uh, pushing forward now, you know, and, and just taking one day at a time. I know it sounds cheesy, but it really is one day at a time and constantly evolving, constantly trying new things, which I think is, is a key to anybody on a journey is not just say one, one lane, um, try different things and, and, and push yourself. And cause if I, if I find, if I do one thing too long, I get stagnant and bored and I don't want to do it anymore. Which I think is great advice for anyone out there who was hoping to, to take a couple to get some during this episode and not just hear us talk about comedy and, and, and the 
defense mechanism that is becoming the yeah. funny fat guy. So I'm glad that you snuck a little information in there for them. Those people that kind of wandered in their first episode, you know, and, and Anthony has been on the podcast before. If you want to go back and listen to his story. And also we did a joint episode with our friend, John Arpino, known to some as Jarp's journey, you know, so you've got a, you, you've been here before. And yeah, I, I think like there's something to be said, like really about this idea of, of self-protection. And I think there's this evolution that happens you know, when you are someone, because whether you're bullied or not, you know, when you're growing up as a fat kid, you feel targeted. You know, you feel like all the eyes are on you anyway, even if they're not. Like, you start to develop kind of that sense of, you know, for me, I, th I think it really developed when I was in grammar school, you know, and, and you can relate to this being another gentleman of advanced age like myself. You know, we, they used to weigh us in groups in, yes. like, in the hallway, like bring us to the nurse's office, the whole school in a line and weigh us. And they would always... <laughs> And they would announce, announce your weight, like, <laughs> on what like, planet? Like, right, can you imagine right now in a school 2021 that if they did this, because even if they had to do it for the medical records for the school, oh. if they were to announce a child's weight to the entire, you know, the entire school while they were doing this, there would be lawsuits and cancel campaigns and yes, things. Uh, it, it would be. It was a. It was a. We could say it's a. It was a different time then. The only thing that makes me wish I was a millennial, I think, mm -hmm. was that being called out. It was almost like if you if you watch like um, I don't know, like movies or something where it's like a like you know where there's like a high society where they announce everybody. They're like Anthony DiDomenico, seventh grade, two hundred pounds. Like you know, right. it's like they they announced it like that. It was like you're being called out for everybody. And yeah, and it was and it was very much like because I I have this clear memory. It was like fifth or sixth grade, like near my heaviest. When I was that age, you know, my, my fir that first round of Weight Watchers that I did when I was over yeah. 200 pounds. And I remember getting on that scale and the nurse, and it was one of, of course, because there's nothing digital back then as well. So it's the clunky oh, medical they scale it. where they're like clunk, <laughs> clunk, clunk. Cl and you could tell the kid who got on before me, they were like 68 pounds, 72 pounds. Okay, I get on and, the, and she was, it was like 204 pounds or 205 pounds. And she said it. Almost and had that and had exactly the horrific look on your face you would expect. Like, what? And I remember the kid behind me saying, damn. And I was in a Catholic school. So he got in trouble for swearing because I get on the scale. And I think that's where it started for me, like this idea that like because at that point, literally the entire the entire world that I existed in was watching. So yeah. you had to start to develop like some kind of thick skin. And I, and for me, it was different. Like I didn't immediately become, I wasn't the funny fat kid in that school at all. I was the very horrifically bullied fat kid in that school. There was another big kid uh, who was one of my only, like I would say actual friends at that point. And he developed the diabetes and left school okay. because back then when you developed the diabetes, <laughs> you had to like go to a clinic, like. They just shipped you off. Yeah, like they, they – and when he came back, like the next grade is when he came back. He was slim and he joined right in with the bullies. Like it was this oh – so like that last year I was at that school was kind of horrific. But well, Who knows what kind of boot camp they sent him to mm -hmm. in the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the 80s. There was – that was also – you know, to date myself, that was back when there was like breakdancing fights in the schoolyard – you know, like people carried, people brought cardboard with them to school. There was a lot going on back then. There was always two fat kids, and I think per grade, mm -hmm. that was it was me and this other kid, and they always like pinned us against each other, like we were like immortal enemies. 
Well, like like we always like went against each other in wrestling. Like we wrestled, or we did we we raced against each other. It was always like we were like it was always Anthony versus Lewis, and I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be Anthony versus Lewis. I said this is like we're making us enemies. We just we have a lot in common, actually. They literally were like steering the trajectory of your lives by making those yeah. choices. So yeah. for me, it was when we moved after seventh grade from seventh to eighth grade that I was like, okay. I almost like had this conscious discussion with myself. Like I have to reinvent myself. I can't be that same kid. You know, I can't take the bullshit. Like I have to like stand up for myself a little bit more. You know, I was watching a lot of television, obviously, but you know, there's mm-hmm. classic television back then, you know, late seventies, early eighties and developing a sense of humor and decided that, you know, that was who I was going to be. I was going to be the one to make the jokes before anyone else could make them. And you know, school went differently for me then. Like, it, it, you know, the trajectory changed. It really was that defense mechanism that I think in some ways saved me in a lot of ways, like in terms of like being able to get through that environment. Like we talk about it a lot now, like the way schools are, you know, this pretty horrific place for kids at times, like with, you know, teachers are overworked and overtaxed and like they're they're handling X number yep. of students and now they're handling even more and they're supposed to know the behavior and all of these things and like, you know, bullying is at least something that teachers talk about now. Back then, when you brought up that you were being bullied, teachers didn't believe you. I remember my principal not believing me, like all of this stuff. And I think you develop this, like, you know, I, I, I keep saying defense mechanism, but I really think it is like you start to figure out that you have to find that place. And especially in school, you're finding that place where you fit in. You're trying to find that role that you're going to fill. Like, there's a reason why there's tropes when you watch movies yes. about high schools and grammar schools and everything. Like, there's the jock, and then there's the smart kid, and there's the, the you know, there's going to also be, you know, the, the funny kid. And often the funny kid is the funny fat kid because, like, that, you know, we could we could reference the film. We could talk about the movie Heavyweights probably for two hours. Like, Yeah, well, they were all funny in that one. Right. But well, it, or, or even, like, Varsity Blues. Like, mm-hmm. Billy Bob was the, was the um, you know, was the comedic punching bag, and... Um, it's just like that a lot of things. I mean, even like comedy duos, like, you know, Laurel and Hardy, you know, that's that, you know, the straight guy is a skinny guy. And then like, you know, the guy, the punchline is always the fat guy. And, um, <clears throat> it's just like, it's just people naturally will gravitate towards that, that kind of like, you know, that setup and punch. And, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's funny, like you said in school, like the principal didn't believe you. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, how dense was this principal? He didn't believe that a, a fifth grader, 200 pounds, is the guy getting picked on? I mean, seriously, like, it, it, this is, people understand when you talk about, like, the 80s. I don't think any, people, younger people, don't understand, like, you know, especially growing up now, how things were. Like, there was, it didn't exist, almost. It was like, it, it happened, but, like, no one cared about it. No one paid attention to it. No one made it an issue. And, like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's good. Because, you know, people are not getting bullied to the point where they don't want to go to school anymore or worse. But I also think a small part of it, like you're talking about how we developed this this thing. Now, if I didn't go through what I, you know, I didn't get as bad as you did. But like, am I a comedian today if I don't go through that? If, if I don't if I don't have to develop that, if I don't, you know. So I think that people do, not just saying big guys, but develop certain things like. Yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, George Lucas was the best baseball player and was popular with the ladies. But guess what? He wrote the greatest movies ever, to my my mind. Like, things, people go and do other things. And I think that's where I think now, and I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but where people are kind of getting lost in the shuffles that people are not able to go find what they're good at. And for me, that's what that was. It was, it was making people laugh. It was comedy. So in a way, I'm kind of glad I grew up that way. 
and had to deal with what I dealt with because, yeah, I wasn't scoring the game-winning touchdown, but I can get on stage for, for an hour and make people laugh from start to finish. So to me, that's like almost the same thing. And I think the, the flip side to all, or the other <clears throat> side to all this that I think still comes through in, in your experience, and I, I think when you dive into the stories of a lot of like the really like famous um, fat male comedians mm-hmm. or in, in fat female comedians to an extent as well, is this idea that in just, you know, fat guys in general that have been on this show, and I can speak to my own experience, like we develop this defense mechanism, not just because we, we need, you know, we need to defend ourselves from bullying or something along those lines, but it's this idea of this self, like self-deprecating humor that you start to develop because you start to kind of have this sense of self-worth, like these sense, self-sense worth issues and like this standing up for yourself. And, yeah. you know, like I, I've got a friend, I've got a friend who I know is listening to this episode uh, who often, like if I crack a joke at myself, he's always like, stop doing that. Stop making fun of yourself. Like be confident. You know, it's a, it's a complete thing. You know, it's a, another whole trope in terms of itself is that idea that yeah. you're, you beat yourself up because we, you start to just, it starts to become your normal making fat jokes about yourself is a normal thing. And you don't realize that eventually it's what might've started as a defense mechanism, eventually be something that starts to hold you back from your potential and thinking, you know, finding that thing that you're really good at because you spend so much time almost believing these things, the way you beat yourself up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to me, it's a fine line, you know, with with being a comedian. Um, I'm, my comedic styling is very autobiographical, Self-deprecating. Uh, I like taking a, a true life experience, exaggerate, twist and turn it a little bit. Um, and people do tell me I'm a little self-deprecating, but to me, it's almost like the opposite. I, it, it makes me like feel better, like I, because I, I could say it. You know, it's me. I and it's I see the joke in it. I see the humor in it. Well, I can get where it makes people uncomfortable, but I think I think that's just their. You know, to me, when I, you know everybody's different, but I think that's their their baggage. That's their whole. You know, maybe they're not feeling great about themselves about certain things. But to me, the better I feel about myself, the more I could joke about something. That's just the the, the comic brain of, that, that I have and the way it works. Which I think makes sense. Like, I, and I think there's a difference between the comic brain and just beating yourself up. Like, obviously, there's a difference. Yeah. You know, you're not like. The, when the audience is clapping for you and, and laughing, you're not like, oh, I'm not that great, you know, like, because I think that starts to go in line with it, too. Like, it goes from self-deprecating humor to just yeah. self-deprecation. Yeah, when I'm beating myself up, it's, there's nothing funny about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it you know, it's, it's, it's mean, nasty, and there's, there's not jokes involved. And that's, what, that's why, for me, it's a different, uh, different line. Because I, I think, and what I'm, what I'm trying to get through with this is, like, this idea that, you know, Sometimes the the funniest people are are hiding or have come through some of the biggest trauma, you know, have come through some intense trauma. And it doesn't mean that they haven't processed it properly. Like, I'm not trying to say that at all. But I almost feel like in some ways that humor comes from that place of pain. And it's because they've learned, you know, Mm -hmm. you've learned how to take something that was hurting you and turn it into something, make it into something else. Oh, I think so. I mean, in a lot of the comics I know, uh, you know, they 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 got things deep down that 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 I don't talk they don't talk about, or it just you know bothers them still, or everybody's just a little off off the rocker. I mean, you have to be to get on stage and and you know try to make people laugh with the most inner most personal parts of your life. I mean, it, it's just it, there is a screw loose if you had to you know, and it's not a bad way. It's just I think any performer really. I mean, you're you're putting yourself out there in front of strangers. Um, and asking, you know, and 
basically ask them to, to, to like you and, 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 and laugh and, and everything that you're saying. So yeah, but that inner pain definitely serves as some fuel to, to get up there and do that. Which I think is why sometimes it, it shocks it, like taking it into the pop culture space and into that, you know, comedic acting, it shocks audiences when some of these actors that they've seen as these kind of comedic powerhouses take a dramatic turn in terms of a role or, you know, and tell us are able to kind of tell a story because they've got that emotion and that depth there. And I think that's a big part, too, of like when you are defending yourself, you develop a greater sense of who you are. You know, you develop a greater sense of who you are as a person and you're able to kind of work through it and also process and put it out there for other people, which I think is great. Like, I think one of the things, too, like a lot of times like we see, you know, we can go into the stories of a lot of, you know, famous, you know, fat male actors and comedians who have also shared the darker sides of their lives and like shared some of that underbelly. And the thing that, that the one that the example that always jumps out really strongly to me, and, and again, I go back to the 80s, um, is Dom DeLuise in the movie Fatso. Yes, and 100%. Because, I like, I... because like Dom DeLuise is, you know, he was Burt Reynolds' sidekick in, you know, a lot of movies. Like he had a lot of like, he was play the funny buffoon. And then you have this movie, you know, this incredible movie directed by Anne Bancroft, which it, it upsets me how hard it is to find it these days because I feel like more people need to see this film. And where he kind of really just dives in and shares so much of, of what we don't often talk about, you know, which is like a big part of this podcast, you know, is sharing the things that we don't talk about. You know, it's not like I think about the times in this podcast where I've been talking to a guest and we talk about challenges that we have in the bathroom and like what it was like to sit in the car and eat alone before you go to dinner with the family and like all of those things. And I remember as a kid seeing this on, on, I think probably was on television. You know, I, I don't you think do. I saw it in the theater, <laughs> but it's like, you under like you understand, like you start to be like, Holy crap. Like this is something that resonates for me. Like if you haven't seen this movie, like basically the premise is Dom DeLuise plays a guy uh, who has, clearly is dealing with, with a weight issue. He, you know, it, it's got a love story to it, but it's also got the story of like his, almost descent into, you know, his food addiction causing problems in his life and the way it was like affecting him and, you know, like getting help for it and then get the guys he got help for it with, you get know, that honey junior. Right. Like there's this, there's, there's this iconic scene where he is just, he, so like to give people, you know, take people, take people into the film. So you're there in the moment. So there's like, I know I, this is probably, it's in my top five easy, this movie, like, <laughs> So Dom DeLuise and his family is they're celebrating something. So he goes to pick up the Chinese food for them. Yes. And he basically eats all of the Chinese food that he goes to pick up for the family. And he's caught by his brother, who's always like the 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 brother who's like poking at him for his size. And like he's got a the beginning of the film, one of his cousins who was his like fat buddy passes away due to complications. Yeah. Pizza again. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so, there's so many great moments of this movie, but so they have this, and he's been going to this like basically kind of like Overeaters Anonymous type group. Do you, was it was it called Chubby? What was it called? Do you it was remember? Called Chubby Checkers. Chubby Checkers. Then, that's I'm what it was because he because you I'm check it. Fat. Yeah. <laughs> Say and, it. Yeah. And they go to these meetings. Let's talk about mm-hmm. it. And I know anyone who hasn't seen this movie right now is like listening. Like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> But basically, he has this evening where he has this binge episode. You know, now we're going to talk about it in clinical terms. He has a binge episode. And he tells his brother to call his sponsors, basically, who's, you know, these two, two, two other big guys from the Chubby Checkers group. And they come over, 
and they're all going to have like this like come to Jesus moment where they he, they support him through the evening and get him through it. Oh, and in the, the meantime, food. Dom and his brother have like chained literally ch- they've chained up the 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 cabinets and the fridge and like the brother holds the keys and like they come over and then they have this moment where they start talking about food. Oh, and my. it like and it's and it's almost pornographic. Like if you're a fat guy, this is like well, he even talk- goes, he's like, oh, boy. Like, they're talking about it. He gets, like, all excited about it. Well, yeah. You know, like, and there's just, like, these little moments where, you know, they talk about the idea of, like, they go on this riff about jelly donuts. And, oh you know, God. have you ever, you know, have you ever done this with a jelly donut? Have you ever done that? Have you, have you ever sucked the jelly out of a donut? Put a Reese's peanut butter cup put inside and put in it in the donut, oven? They put an ice cream in the donut. They're I, just, they're doing- <laughs> I will tell you, as a fat kid. This movie is the reason why I did suck the jelly out of a jelly donut and put a Reese's peanut butter cup in it and put it in the oven for a little bit to warm it up. Uh, I let the chocolate it, and peanut yeah. butter melt into the dough. <laughs> <laughs> if you have ever dealt with, with food addiction, watch this movie and watch this scene, and it's like your head is now all of a sudden come to life. Well, there's one part of that, that, that thing that I think no one picks up on, even if you've seen it, when he's on the phone Ooh. and he's ordering all the food. Oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, big party, hats and everything. <laughs> And to me, like that's that's a great line, and it's probably improvised by Dom DeLuise because the comedic timing was amazing. But right there, it even shows you, like, how many times did you go into a, a takeout place and pretend like you were ordering for like three other people, but mm-hmm. you eat ordering for yourself? Oh yeah. So having a party, yeah, big party, hats and everything. Mm-hmm. I would say the same thing, same thing. Well, because that that whole phone call is hilarious. The okay, you know, yeah. it's the ice cream bit, you know. Two pints of this and one pint of that and two yeah. pints of this. And did we get this and get that? And oh, yeah, and throw that in the chocolate cake and do this. And they have this, like, orgy binge where, like, spaghetti ends up on the ceiling. It's li- literally like, you know, they had like this. It's it's like the day after of a, of a frat party, you know, oh, when, it, yeah. when they, they kind of, like, cut to the next moment, you know, the, the aftermath. And there's food everywhere and they're kind of passed out. And but. It's just, and you know, and then he's sick and he's, his stomach is upset and like all, and they're not feeling great and they don't feel great about themselves. Like it is that, it's that whole experience come to life, put on the screen and played out, like played out exactly like the, the high, the euphoria, the high, the lies, and then the coming down after, you know, and dealing with that aftermath. And and the, and the thing is at the end, it's not like at the end of the movie, He's quote unquote lost all the weight and like they're they're they go jogging together. Like he it's more about him kind of like coming to realizing what his challenges were and realizing though also seeing value in himself and there's just yeah. this and again, like for me as a kid, I saw Dom DeLuise as this funny actor, and all of a sudden I'm watching this movie and, and by the end I'm crying. Like, you know, like there's just this, these powerful moments where from the on the flip side of comedy are these other strong emotions going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just the, the, the no confidence in yourself, you know, and I don't want to give too much away of the movie, but, um, you know, where his love interest goes away and he can't get a hold of her and he's just thinking the worst. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, everybody goes to that because you start thinking to yourself, well, I'm not good enough to be with somebody. And it's the whole and the, all the self-doubt that you have in those things. And this movie plays on, I think, every emotion. I mean, and it was made uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, and, 1980. 1980, and it's still, if you want anybody who's gone through, like, you know, any kind of being overweight or weight loss journey, this will speak to you on every emotional level you have. It will, will not skip a beat. You will relate to every single thing he goes through in this movie. So it is an absolute must. And and the other thing to, like, to talk about with it, so this movie now, what is it, 40 years ago? 
this yeah. movie featured Dom DeLuise as the quote unquote leading man, which is also kind of rare. Like, and yes, it was yeah. a, you know it was a comedic movie and everything along those lines, but to have you know an overweight actor be in that leading role was a very rare thing in you know Hollywood and even today. But it Especially was just that, yeah, even today it is. I mean, it's not you know the. You got the romantic comedies and you got everything, you know, Kevin James popping up and all of those things. But this was a, a unique piece 40 years ago that, like you said, resonates really well today. And I think just really puts on display because that, what happens is like you develop this this funny fat guy persona and people start to think like that's your persona. You know, like yeah. there's in a lot of ways, like being the funny fat guy is a mask, you know. It, and yes, it, it is at times it is just our personality and who we are. But there are times where you're using that humor and using that defensive humor because you have other things going on that you don't want people to let people in on. And, you know, in this film, he ends up letting his family in on everything. And you can see that there's moments where, like, especially, like, between him and his brother, where his brother is just, like, completely overwhelmed by it. Like, almost like it's he's the person who says, you know, who goes to their, their overweight sibling or friend or family member, you know, why can't you just stop eating? You know, like having that moment of like, it's just about how much you eat and not realizing like there can be so much more at play. Like it runs so much deeper and really plays that out really well. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the brother is younger and you know, he's, he watches what he eats and he takes care of himself and, you know, because he says he's, you know, he's, he's a garbage man. So he's gotta, you gotta be fit. He's gotta be fit for the trucks. Mm. Um, and you know it is true. He's got a different relationship with his brother, but they're both. But you know he has the support at the at the end of it. You know both is they care about him so much that they they really go at him. And uh, yeah, again, it's a great movie. And again, uh, if you haven't seen it, I would go try to find it somewhere. I think it, I actually found it on YouTube. There's, there's a full version on YouTube. Oh, nice. If you can find it, yeah. I don't know if it's still there or not, but that was the last place I watched it. Which kind of brings us into this idea of. These these actors and, you know, who kind of, you know, they, there's always that old idea of the character actor, but you've got these people uh, in film who in a lot at a lot of times are kind of playing off, you know, the, the fat guy stereotypes and the fat guy jokes and all of those things, but also have just some true deep comedic genius because not every not every, you know, every fat guy can think they're the funny fat guy, but not every fat guy is funny. Which I mean, I know I've seen your routine. I know that not every fat guy is funny. Exactly. I don't know how anybody pays me to to do this. They they must be really starved for comedy. I'm just. I was trying to get a zing. You know, I was. I, was no, I know bit, you were going. I you saw, know. You know where I saw I'm that going. A, I saw That's the problem. That's the problem. Is like there's no there's no there's no zinging you. Oh, the dog's going crazy. So wouldn't it be the, the way you want is a dog going crazy. Wouldn't it be the fat guy for him without there being dogs going crazy in the background. No. But I think there's so many things that we can think about, like, you know, these these actors that were, quote unquote, larger than life, literally, and also in terms of watching them, like being able to bring us some of the most like kind of incredible comedic moments that we all quote for whatever reasons. And they kind of keep going and they res- and I think it's because there's a resonance, you know, there's a resonance yeah. to the comedy of Chris Farley, the comedy of John Candy, you know, these people. You know, and again, I bring those up because they're always the top two answers for everyone's favorite well, fat well, guys. Speak, speaking of candy and speaking of serious movies, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Uh, it's called Only the Lonely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite John Candy movie. I, I really love that movie. And it's, and it's, again, it's a serious side of John Candy. And, you know, again, fortunately, he was taken, you know, way too early. We didn't maybe see what he could do. I mean, he did do a serious role in JFK, but that doesn't do it really. Like, he wasn't a leading man. He was, he was a character actor in that. 
Um, but you know, this movie kind of like you showed his acting chops a little bit. He was a leading man. He said he was great in it. Um, there was some funny moments. There was some heartfelt moments. Oh, yeah. But this this that movie from start to finish is, is absolutely one of my favorite movies that I, I can watch it over and over again. No, I think I mean let's let's talk John Candy for a minute. Like you got to go. I mean, we could. I'm sure we could do yeah. a whole podcast on him. But like, let's. He. Yeah. I think about you know when I think about John Candy and I think about the flipping from great comedy to serious moments. Like I always go to Uncle Buck. You know, I also yes. you know being the being the overweight uncle. You know, I go to that as well. You know, myself. Movie being, of, yeah, movie of my own heart. Actually, I have um, you know my nephews and my niece. They call me Uncle Cheese. And I have that tattooed on me in Uncle Buck in the Uncle Buck lettering. Like that's I, that that movie again is one of my my favorites as well. And it's true; it shows his range. It shows, and it's a typical stereotype. You know, the the loser brother is always the overweight, slob, slovenly brother. Um, doesn't have his life together. Um, in my family, it's true. Mm. <laughs> Come on now. There's that. There's that self deprecation. There it is, right there. I'm like, wait. These aren't stereotypes. Mm. <laughs> they're only stereotypes because they're true. Yeah, exactly. But no, Uncle Buck, I mean, like, let's, that, that movie, like, has such range in terms of, like, his care for the kids, yeah. you know, and, but you're right, like, it, it also has the, the piece where he's making a giant pancake, you know, and what is that about? You know, like, where <laughs> there's, there's, like, these moments that are kind of, like, hilarious, but then you also get, you know, the fact that he's going to like, he would give his lot, you know, give, you know, put himself in danger to take care of these children. Yeah. Basically he would give up his whole year as far as money mm-hmm. to, to, to make sure these kids are okay. And, um, it kind of shows you like, you know, the, the, his acting range as well. He, he, you know, and uh, again, he was taken too soon. So we, I guess we didn't really get to see what he had in store for him you know, down the road. Um, but a lot of just regular, even just comedians, when I talk, you know, we were talking about like the big guys, but like people like Tom Hanks, um, you know, a lot of these com- comedic actors do serious roles because it does take a lot of skill and ability to, to, to pull off comedy. Um, and I think that a guy like, I even think Farley could have done a serious role down the line and probably would have if he, if he would have lived. Oh, I think so too. Like, I think there's that development because there's also that idea. And this is, again, maybe we're getting into a, you know, a stereotype as well. But I think there's something about especially someone who is an actor in Hollywood or getting onto a comedy yeah. stage who's willing to put themselves out there and know, like you were talking about the heckling, you know, kind of, we, we see, you know, as, as fat guys in our personal lives, see the bullying growing up and things along those lines. Now think about putting yourself on camera, on stage, yep. you know, putting yourself out there to be the target and knowing, having the, the self-confidence to kind of get through that and still kind of, pull off the roles that you're pulling off and pull off the acting that you're pulling off shows like this deep connection to your sense of self, which I think is, you know, an amazing thing to see. Like there's, you know, we can also, you know, I'm sure we can spend some time today talking about portrayals of fat guys in film and television and kind of where that usually goes. But this idea that these, these, these powerhouse actors, you know, have that ability to have impeccable comic timing speaks to so much more of a, you know, because not every actor can pull off comedy, you know, and and I'm not saying weight has anything to do with it, but there is this connection to this idea of there being these, these fat guy comics who are able to have impeccable timing, have this skill to make us laugh, but also then flip the switch and take us in different directions. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I, I look at it, I look at guys like Jack Black, 
who um, who has done both. He's done, you know, he's done serious roles. He's done, you know, comedy roles. But another guy who's um, considered, I guess, a, a funny fat guy and he, his comedic timing and serious acting chops are, are right there with, with anybody else. And uh, again, I, his movies too are the kind of the same, it's almost the same thing that the, he, like in School of Rock, he plays the guy, you know, uh, the loser best friend and turns at the end, you know, becomes a responsible adult who cares about these kids and willing to sacrifice himself for, for their for their benefit. And uh, you kind of see that that kind of turn in that movie. Oh, and I think it goes back to this idea of having more to prove. You know, yeah. when you're when you're not the traditional Hollywood heartthrob, you know, you have it's almost like you have to bring more in order to get people to pay attention, to get, you know, to get the roles. And because there's, there, there, it's not like there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of leading male parts where they're saying, we would love an actor in the three to 400 pound range to fill Just this role. Just get me a guy. You know? He's going to be about 400. Yeah, exactly. Wanna, he's got to have hair like gold. <laughs> and never mind the fact that there's all these movies where they put actors in fat suits. When there yeah. are plenty of fat actors, out I'm there. right here. Like, listen, there's no need to put anybody in any kind of suit. I, I am. Uh, I've taken acting classes. I am a stage performer. You don't have to put anybody in a suit. Right. I can very realistically pull this role off. Well, I think it just goes back to this idea of like the other the other stereotypes about about fat guys start to permeate, you know, casting agents and writers and all of their yeah. in their heads and like they think one that they can just fit a certain you know there's only some so much they can actually do but then it's like well you know is he going to be able to keep up with everyone else and is he going to be able to pull this off and what is that going to be you know how is that going to play out i'm going to need a break right <laughs> you know we've been going for 5 minutes i'm going to i'm going to need a ch- i'm going to need a sturdy Wait, chair i got i got to stand lemonade. this whole time what do you mean this that doesn't work Wait, i can't sweat when i stand stand here are you kidding me but i think you know, like that's so. Like, what are your thoughts as someone in the in the biz? You know, kind of in the in the entertainment industry. Yeah. You know, and you're a you're a stage comedian. But what are your what are the thoughts that come to your mind when we talk about the portrayals of of fat guys in film and on television and like in those in those big roles? I just think it's like any other stereotype. You know, they'll always like go for the cheap joke in a way where like, oh, he's always eating, he's always sweating, he's out of breath. You know, which a lot of it's true, but like. The thing with me when I when I when I watch it though, like it, the thing about I think about fat people, they're not always eating in public. They're not sitting there right. with a the Snickers and an ice cream. That's very private. That's a private thing, and I think that's where you know that kind of thing always. I, I laugh at it when they're shoving food in their faces because I know it's. I there's only there's only one fat kid I've ever known that's done that. When I worked at King Collin, there was this kid. We used to call him Cheesy because he would eat literally a. a brick of mozzarella uh, on his break with a two liter gallon of soda. He's the only one I knew that would do this out in the open, just chomping away on the cheese and guzzling soda and anything else. But everybody else that I've known that's had a weight issue and had the same kind of things, eating was a very private, very secret thing to them. So that to me was always, it's funny when I see it in movies that the guy's just always walking around with like, especially you see the movie Little Giants, the kids, uh, he's eating, he's always got chips or Reese's or peanut butter and jelly sandwich in his helmet. Like it's not, it's not, it's not the thing. I mean, it's of course like, you know, it's, it's funny to put those jokes in, but that to me is where it goes, where I kind of see like the first disconnect. Um, but it doesn't bother me. I, I don't get bothered by it. Um, 
I guess it's different than like stereotypes of stereotypes of like a race or something the way you can't help, you know, I, I can help my, my weight, you know, you, you know, even though people say they, they can't, but again, again, I, I choose to eat. I choose to, you know, when I'm unhealthy, choose to be unhealthy. So I can't, I don't get mad at when someone's in a fat suit or they're making jokes about it. It doesn't bother me like that because again, I, I look at it as just that it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to make you laugh. Maybe that's where we, I come from, you know, we come from the same time frame where, but yeah, movies were okay. You were okay to laugh at things and you're okay to watch things and be entertained and not tear it apart and cancel it and pick it apart and ruin it for everything that, that it is. It's okay to just sit there and enjoy something and, and laugh at it. Oh, I, I think for sure. And it goes back to like a, probably a very modern term in terms of like discussion, but this idea of representation, yeah. you know, and this idea that, you know, I, I think especially you know, growing up when we did, and now I don't want, I don't want this just to be the old fat guy show, but growing <laughs> the up, old you know, fat guy forum. there's going to be all these people who are like in their twenties who are like, I didn't, you know, but, but I look at like, you know, you were, we were talking about this in the beginning, like the idea that there were not, you know, 50% of our class was not overweight, you know, like no. 40, whatever the statistics are there now, was like two of us, I mean, you know, it was two of us and it's two in a school often. Like, it's like, so like, you know, it's, representation was a very different thing. So when you would see, and I think that's why like a lot of us have like a soft spot, soft spot, no pun intended, you know, in our hearts for some of these bigger actors, it's because when you get to see them on, on screen, it was like, okay, you know, there, I get to see some of myself. Like I get to see a little bit of myself being portrayed. Well, that's when I fell in love with Farley was, was Wayne's Wayne's world. Before mm -hmm. I even watched him on Saturday Night Live, I was watching uh, Wayne's world and he came on the screen and he had that two, it was literally like a minute. Yeah, he was a security guard. And I said to my mom, I'm like, who is that? I said, because that, it, it, almost like I was looking at myself on screen. Like, I, I could, I could, almost came in, I could be in the movies. I could do this. I could be funny. I could be famous or something. And I'm like, who is that? He's like, he's on Saturday Night Live. And that's how I really got into Saturday Night Live was like, I watch for Farley. And he is my biggest comedic influence. He, you know, he's not a stand-up comic. But to me, he is like the greatest of all time. The, the one of the, hands down one of the funny, and it's nothing to do with his weight. The, the, I think he could have been 150 pounds and still is funny. He's physical. He's got great timing. Um, and you look at his best bits; there were nothing to do with his weight. I mean, maybe when he fell through the table, like even the motivational speaker when he fell through a table, that was it. But that'd been funny if any drunk guy falls through a table. You know, I mean, you look at the motivational speaker; there's nothing about that was weight. Until the, you know, he fell to the, maybe the table, but like the van down by the river, the, you know, um, being divorced and all that stuff was just typical, like, you know, middle-aged de depressed guy thing. Um, but him absolutely was, was hands down my favorite. And here's a, people don't know about him. He was supposed to be Shrek. There's actually, you can find recordings of him as Shrek. And to think about where that would have taken him as far as from where he was, he would have been a megastar. He that would have he would have been an absolute megastar, leading guy. So that's what I'm saying. I, I definitely think that like serious roles are in his future. Um, but him, that was the first guy I really connected with on that level because I first saw Wayne's World like I was like, in seventh grade, and I, I fell in love with Farley the second I saw him on on, on the screen at Wayne's World. That, that that was it for me. I was I was hooked. And I, I think something I read about Farley recently was the fact that he knew when to use his size to comedic effect. Yep. But it wasn't, he didn't just have to fall back on that because he had nothing else to do. You know, he had no other bits. He had no other 
you know, he had no, other, he had no other jokes to tell, you know, he had no other comment, you know, that he had no, no other kind of like gas in the tank. It wasn't always yeah. like, it wasn't always fat guy in a little coat. Like there was this disarmingness to him, like where he was just, you know, he would, I, I just love when you go and watch the compilation videos of like him making other actors on Saturday Night Live crack up, like making them break. <laughs> Yeah, it, Sandler the most. Sandler would laugh the most at him. Um, but yeah, he was. He they said he was the the funniest guy. He, he was the he always tried to do that, and um, and even like off off stage, he was he was funny. Like he was the most. He was the crazy out of control guy. And uh, I love hearing stories about about that. And there's a great some great documentaries out there if you're really interested in Farley and find it out. Like you know um, some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, he was a troubled guy, you know, he had, he had demons and like anybody else. And he turned to, you know, alcohol and drugs. And unfortunately at 33 years old, he passed away. Um, it was, it's just a shame to think about like, you know, all the, the selfishly, I think about like, all like the, the things that we missed out on and I forget, you know, and, and the, the, the funniness and the movies that he could have made and, and all that stuff, because I think it, he had a huge career ahead of him. Um, and he was just getting started. And I do think, like, I, I don't want to kind of gloss over the fact that, like, I think him growing up, you know, as a fat kid and as a fat guy, like, there that fed into what he was able to do. Like, it gives you not just, you know, actual material, you know, like, not just fat jokes, but it gives you that experience to be able to kind of process things. And that's what we talked about, like, that idea that we all when we, when we identify as the, the, you know, the funny fat guy persona, like we develop that quicker wit, you know, develop that ability to defend yourself. And it, without a quick wit, you're not going to survive, especially in an environment like Saturday Night Live or in an improv group, like having that quick wit and being able to kind of process quickly and handle what's going on in the scene and be able to kind of get your piece there and know that you're going to nail the joke is, is a skill that can come from that, you know, come from those experiences. And, and plus, he was a, an incredible athlete, Farley. People don't realize that about him. You, you think of a big guy can't be an athlete. Look, Farley was an athlete. He played rugby. He played football. Um, you see younger Chris Farley. He, he was, like, big, but he was. it wasn't like when he was at the end when he was, you know, on drugs and booze and everything else. But um, he was he was fast. So, like, he was doing cartwheels. I remember doing cartwheels on Letterman. Like, this guy, he used every bit. Um, of everything he had and to, to get people to laugh and that was a physical comedy whether it was words um just falling i mean he he really put everything he had in, into making somebody laugh and i think that was his what you know acceptance he wanted to be accepted he wanted to be uh what do i bring to the table and that, that that's a big thing too i mean i that's you know one of the reasons why i, I developed and and for years was okay with being so overweight was because I'm like, well, I got the skill. Mm -hmm. I can go on stage, make people laugh. It's just, you know, part of who I am. And that was kind of like, you know, the excuse I gave myself to the rest of my worlds of being a big guy and not doing anything for myself was because I, I had that ability. And I think you're right. Like when you hit on that idea of that wanting acceptance and that wanting mm -hmm. people to laugh and wanting people to kind of embrace you is something that develops out of out of that experience of having grown up overweight or being, you know, kind of being in that position because it's this idea that you know you're immediately going to have face judgment, you know, when you walk into a space. Like you having been as heavy as you were, you know, 583, you know, I was 540 pounds. You know what when you're over 500 pounds and you walk into a room, no matter what's going on, there are going to be people that pay attention. 
whether it's good attention or bad attention, there's going to be attention directed towards you. Oh, yeah. And my early comedy styling was all fat jokes. And I, you know, because I didn't know any better. I, I just started writing jokes that people laughed at and they laughed at those. And then about a year in, I had a couple people help me out and tell me things. One of them was uh, on Long Island here. John Truson um, is the, the comedian and booker at Governor's Comedy Club. And he said to me, he goes, listen, he goes, um, he said, I'm going to give you a, a challenge. He goes, it was, I think it was the beginning of the summer. And he said, in September, I'm going to ask you to do 10 minutes. And it's going to have no material about being a fat guy. No fat jokes. He goes, you have to start deciding what's funny for you in your life. What's funny about you and what's funny about, you know, just what you find in society. He goes, every town you go to, there's going to be the fat comic. And there's going to, he's going to do the same jokes that you're doing. And there's going to be nothing separate. What's going to separate you from that? Um, so that's when my act changed at that point. And then I had met Max Alexander. And if anyone knows who Max Alexander is, from your Google machine, uh, Max Alexander is an uh, incredible comedian. He's been on uh, Leno, Letterman, uh, Carson. He's been in major motion pictures. He was in the movie Roxanne with, with Steve Martin. Um, very funny guy. And one of the nicest guys I've ever met in comedy. And, and we, we lost Max a few years ago. Um, very sad uh, when, when he passed away because I had gotten to be friends with him. And um, he said to me, he said, Anthony, he goes, uh, he's a little advice from, from me. He goes, be a, be a comic who just happens to be fat. Don't be the fat comic. And again, this is around the same time I'm getting this advice. And when Max said it to me, it resonated a little more because he was a big guy. And he said, all my life I've been big. And he goes, you could be the, 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 the fat comic and be that, that character. Or you could just be a comedian who happens to be overweight. And that's the route I went. And it was some of the best advice I ever got. And, I, and when I see newer comics and if they are overweight and they ask me about that kind of, you know, because it comes up like, you know, do you do this kind of material? And I say no. And I, and I tell them the story about what John told me, what Max told me. Um, it's because you don't want to be that character. You don't want to hold yourself in that character because th th then I think that's when the self-loathing starts. When you can't now get out of this character, when you're just like this guy. Like I, I think of like some prop comics who are like clowns or put them at the way, like, you know, makeup and stuff. Every night they come in with their bag and they put the, the makeup on and whatever they're doing. And it gets to be, you're in that, you're in that, that character and then when you when you happen to be a comic who just happens to be overweight anything can change you know how people have told me like when i started losing weight oh uh you can't lose too much weight you know what about your act and i'm like well do you even listen to my act because nothing's about weight that's that's a, that's the thing with people they don't pay attention to you they, they that what you're doing they just see you like i said like you you 583 i walk onto a stage i mean they're not going to notice my hair as amazing as it is, they're noticing, you know, how, how, how big I am. And even when I, when I say I'm losing weight, they, they don't want that. They don't want that disconnect for some reason. They don't want me to lose weight. They don't want me to be smaller. They want that big guy on stage telling jokes. Um, which, you know, imagine if I, I didn't change my act and I just was the fat guy. I mean, I'm, I'm still big, you know, even losing 200 pounds, but like what would I even have tried? I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to lose material. I'm, I'm a character. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get out of my character. Like that. That kind of. I think about that sometimes. Um, or it's sort of another excuse to stay that big.
Right, which which I think w- there's a couple things in there that I, I think are good for us to talk about. Um, first, I want to say, like, have, do you – so uh, the hard part of this episode, and I said this to you, you know, it was like I feel like at some point it's going to go dark. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of these, these, these comedic talents that when we start to talk about them, we talk about the fact that they died young. Um, but I think mm-hmm. about, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the obituary for Ralphie May. Um, I didn't read the obituary. Yeah. No. So um, Ralphie May is a, a, a was a comedian who was a fat guy. He was over eight hundred pounds at one point. Lost four hundred pounds. Like dealt with his weight issues his whole you know his whole existence. Well, I got mistaken for a few times. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And it, and you look and it was funny because I was doing a little just some some like you said the Google machine for for this episode and I had never seen his New York Times obituary and his obituary he died in twenty seventeen said Ralphie May a comedian who happened to be overweight. And then kind of, like, went on. Like, it was this idea that, like, and you can tell more than likely, like, that was something that he had laid out in advance. Like, he wanted this to be, you know, and I know it was something that, you know, his wife was also, his ex-wife at that point was also a comedian. Like, I'm sure there was discussions they've had about this. Like, that idea of finding your identity outside of being the fat guy. And for, like, it comes to a head, you know, when you were talking about that story, you know, comedy. But I think that's something anyone listening who is, you know, the fat guy out there who's been through this, like, I think that, you know, I've talked about it, like, that was why I struggled when I lost the weight in 2013 and put the weight back on was because I hadn't defined my identity outside of that. Like, I hadn't done any of that work to define who I am outside of being the fat guy, outside of being the fun fat guy who's going to burst into the room and is going to eat the most food, you know, and all of those things are at the bar, it's going to drink the most Guinnesses, like all of those things. Like, I think there's this idea that you have to realize that, you know, there's more to your persona and to your person and to what people like about you than just being the fat guy. And the hard part of that is like, let's, there's so many stories of, of actors who were fat guys in Hollywood who lost the weight and then lost work because they had been kind of fit into that stereotype. And like, that's how casting directors saw them. The actor that, that played Billy Bob in Varsity Blues went through that severely. Like, I actually had some discussions with him right before he passed away. Like, we were communicating. And, you know, he just would express, like, the fact that, you know, he still felt like he had talent and was funny and could do all these things. But he would walk into an audition and they would be like, wait a minute, we, we want Billy Bob. Yeah, because he played, he had a role on a TV show called Popular. Um, and it was basically Billy Bob. He was the same guy. I mean, it was the same character. And, and that's what they were looking for. He needed to get like in like an independent movie and kind of show his, um, which a lot of people, you know, do when they, any kind of change, when you kind of reinvent yourself, you do something where you could show off your talent um, and you kind of got to, you know, you don't, it's almost like, you know, with us, we do like a showcase or we do like, uh, you know, we don't get paid for something because we want to show what we're doing. You know, one of those, like an audition almost, like you got to do an audition spot. Um to kind of show the world what you are. But yeah, I can imagine like he, here's a guy who was in major motion pictures and he's going for, you know, a role and they're like, well, what were you in? He was Billy Bob. I'm like, well, that's what we want. Or like people call his agent. We need Billy Bob. Well, he doesn't look like that anymore. Oh, you know, then they go with somebody else. Um, you know, and like a guy on my list here is, is already Lang and, and he kind of got typecast. Um, you ever see the movie Lost and Found with David Spade? I haven't. So what happened, it, it was right after Farley died, and they literally took Artie, and they dyed his hair blonde, um, because they, he was, that was Chris Farley's role. Like, it was, you know, it was David Spade's first movie by himself, and Farley, of course, would have been the, uh, you know, the second, as they, they were a great team. 
Um, but they took Artie because he kind of looked like Farley and kind of acted like him a little bit. And they just they dyed his hair blonde. And they, they kind of put him right. They kind of just put him right in that role. And no, he's not far. I mean, Artie on other levels is, is again, one of my top um, favorite fat guys and favorite just comedians and in and, and general and radio. Um, but it, it just shows you that they'll just try to plug something in with looks. The guy kind of looks like it and fits the bill. Um, where maybe that guy, you know, after he lost the weight, they could have gave him a role and he would have been amazing in it. But we don't know that because they were, they were looking for something that he wasn't anymore. And I think you're right. People get it. Typecasting happens in Hollywood. Um, it happens even when you're booking a show, like when they're booking comedy shows, they're looking for certain types for, you know, the comedians to showcase. And that's just the, you know, the thing with, with, with show business and, and, you know, movies and television is that when they write a role, they, they write it with a certain person in mind, not the per not someone's comedic talent, not somebody's acting chops. It's, it's, they have the character, right? It's who fits into that piece. And that's where I think uh, you know, that that's where that comes from more than anything is that they're looking to fill a, a you know, put a puzzle piece in instead of, taking somebody who's got talent and making and adapting it um, to, to that role. So that's, that's why you see a lot of that in, in Hollywood. Which I, I think I, I don't want to try to make it too heavy of a, you know, again, I, I tend to be using, I'm using all these terms soft and heavy and you're the, you're the quick and muscle. Um, but yeah. I, I don't want to make it too he- kind of heavy of a metaphor transfer, but like this idea that if you're out there and like one of the things you're struggling with is like, who are you when you're not defined by your size? Is, is something that's really important to work on if, if you're trying to make change. If it is something that you're working on, whether you're going on a health journey or whatever reasons you have, like it is this idea that you have to kind of find what it is about yourself that's at the core and it's not just about the outside. It's not just about what people see when you walk into a room. Even if you're just starting your weight loss journey, like I think that's something to think about. Like where, what role have you been playing and what role do you want to play? And it's okay, you know, luckily because most of us aren't income dependent on Hollywood, you know, and walking into a casting room, you know, we can we can define who we are and how people perceive us and, and work on that. And we can't control people's perceptions, but we can control what we put out there and what we do. And I think it's just that idea of, you know, if if the funny fat guy role serves you, you know, use that to your, you know, use that to your benefit. But if you're finding it something where you're it's becoming this cycle that you feel trapped in, understand that it's OK to reinvent yourself. It's OK to reinvent, you know, the identity that you're portraying to the world and who you want to be. Like, I think that's, you know, if I had to kind of hammer home a moment before we move into something a little more um, on the comedic angle, you know, I, I wanted to just make that point to people that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this topic was realizing that it's okay s- still to be, you know, that funny person who's making jokes and cracking at people and all of those things. But understand that, like, you don't have to define yourself by that experience. You can choose how you want to define yourself. A hundred percent. I absolutely agree with all that. I would and one of the things that you and I talked about doing for this episode, because we were going to talk about you know, not just not just growing up as funny fat guys ourselves and other people that are listening to the podcast, but this idea of pop culture representation and comedy and all of those <clears throat> things, we wanted to list like our top five funny mm-hmm. fat guys for ourselves. And we didn't compare lists before. We didn't decide exactly that we may have some crossover. We may not. You know, Anthony obviously comes from. I, I was saying to him earlier before we started recording, you know, he's the insider. You know, he's the inside. You know, we made, you know, <laughs> made a joke about him trying to get inside. Um, 
Trying to get inside that, yeah. It was a great joke. I mean, really, it would have it would have slayed. It would have played. You know where it would have killed the cat skills. It would have killed in the cat skills. <laughs> you know, it would the boar spell. The boar spelt is where I feel like I could have. I could have. If I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Oh, yeah, I, I'm gonna, skills. We're gonna. I'm gonna start calling you Shecky. But anyway, please. You so, work more than I did. Let's <laughs> let's go into our top five, man. You you good to go with that? Yeah. Just read the, the list. Well, why don't we? Why don't we? We'll, we'll each. We'll we'll go back and forth. Um, okay. You know, one at a time. We'll start with the the five position, and as you are the guest. Although we ha- we should mention we haven't yet we're, we're going to do it at the end but I want to mention that Anthony has a podcast himself that is way more popular than this one. Um, it is <laughs> no, the yeah, I'm sure it is I bet we could go download for download but um, it is the the WW Bro podcast Correct. and so he you know if you want to hear him and you want to hear less of me go check that out on all your favorite podcast utilities. So with that plug made, Anthony, who hit the number one spot on your list? The number not number one. one, not number one. Sorry, number okay. five. Number five. Number number five is Kevin James, um, and I like Kevin, the King of Queens. It's, I was, you know, Long Island. First, he's Long Island guy, um, so that drew me to that show. And then as I got into stand up, and I started meeting a lot of the comics, all these guys knew Kevin. They were all they all came up with Kevin. They were friends with Kevin. They were telling me what a great guy he is. And I'm lucky enough. I've gotten to meet Kevin, talk with him. Performed with him a couple of times, and Kevin James did the biggest bro thing ever. If I hear that Kevin James is out there kicking puppies, I will defend him for this reason. Um, I'm doing a show on a a Sunday night at the local comedy club here on Long Island, one of them, and I was with a a girl I was hanging out with, and it was very new, um, and Kevin, Kevin was coming into a guest spot. So they told us comics before, they, they told me because they said, you're going to be on stage and just go to the light because that's when Kevin's here. As soon as Kevin comes in, we're going to get you off stage. We're going to bring Kevin on because then he's got to go. And I told her, I said, listen, you can't ask him for an autograph. Don't ask for a picture. I said, you probably get to meet him. I said, but don't bother him. He's here working. This is like, you know, this is work. You know, you're in the back here with me. It's work. So Kevin comes in, he goes up. Anthony comes off. He comes over to me and he goes, Anthony, great set. I caught the end of it. Um, and he goes, who's this? So I introduced the girl I'm with and he goes, he goes, so let me tell you something. He goes, this guy, every time I see him, gets funnier and funnier. I said, good for you to hang out with him. You know, he, he really put me over it. And so I'm like, if this, if, if anything, if I ever hear of him doing anything wrong, I'm like, no, nope, I'm defending him. He, he did a, a, a big, a big bro solid for, for me. Um, kind of put me over with that girl that I was hanging out with, even though she stopped talking to me three days later. Besides the point, but that's neither here Kevin, nor there. Kevin James in the moment didn't have to say anything. I mean, you know, again, I, I don't, I, I see him and we say hello to each other, but I'm not friends with him. Um, but he is a nice guy and just, I admire his career. The guy came from similar background as me, Long Island guy, got into comedy. You know, he did everything that we all dream of doing movies you know, television, and he's been in some really major motion pictures. I mean, he was, you know, Will Smith, he's been uh, with, you know, and then Adam Sandler put him in his movie. So um, he's number five for me. I like it. I like it, man. And I feel like we could do a whole a whole episode on, on fat guy stereotypes. And yeah. he, you know, King of Queens, it's the, the, the chubby guy with the hot wife. Yes. Is, a, you know, a Hollywood trope at this point. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's something people complain about, but, you know, he... 
he he didn't just kind of experience that. He created that genre in and of himself. Uh, I think that's awesome. And my number five is someone who, you know, was not a stand-up, but uh, I think has had some really great film roles that have been dramatic, and he's done a lot more dramatic lately. But for me, he is always going to be Dan Connor on Roseanne. And so my number five is actually John Goodman. Oh, uh, I can't wait to make my list. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, Kevin James is sitting here as number seven on my list. So we're, <laughs> you know, I'm sure we're going to have our – we can go into our, honor, yeah. our honorable mentions, of course. But for me – it's John Goodman because yes. I just love, like, for me, that show just kicked ass in terms of what they, the, the family love that they portrayed. It wasn't always about, you know, most of the time, the jokes that, that he was, you know, having on that show was not about no. John and, you know, Dan and, Dan and Roseanne being overweight. It was just about them being who they are and him just having some great timing. And then obviously we can go into, you know, countless films you know that he's been in you know and i i just think he for me had to be on my list well in 1989 um you know people magazine has the sexiest man alive he was sexiest big man they and at, at 10 years old i thought to myself i'm like that's gonna be me one day uh, <laughs> it's like i have a goal now like he gave you something to hope for. Well, it's, it's sad, but like that's what I was saying. Ten years old, I'm like, I'm gonna be famous one day, and People Magazine is gonna call me the sexiest big guy. Like that was, that what was I, my goal. What I like is that it's not that you like. At, you know, especially we'll go back to the '80s. It's not like you saw Roblo and you're like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get no. six back, and I'm gonna be the People's Sexiest Man Alive. You're like, thank you, People Magazine. You added the big guy category. Yeah. I, I know my niche. Like I'm gonna, I know my market. I know I can see the trajectory of my life right now. I, I really enjoyed dinner last night. I have a goal. I like it. Yeah. I'm not going to miss her. I'm not going to try to be whoever's on the cover of this. I'm going to be the guy with a little blip on the bottom. The sexiest big sexiest guy. Sexiest well, gonna get. You're going to get an offset colored box with your picture, and that's going to be there for you. Got to know your audience. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of, let's go to your number four. Number four, John Candy. Mm-hmm. Um for the obvious reasons that you know his movies were funny i mean summer rental to me is, is i could watch that every day and i did one summer long it was on tv like every day i mean my cousin watched it um i just liked his range he could play the the you know from uncle buck the the loser unemployed brother to great outdoors the respectable father figure you know he 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 had it all i think you know talent immense talent um again someone tragically taken from us too too soon because he again he lived life big he people you know when he after he died they said you go to john candy's house okay it was midnight you then he would make dinner and there was drinks and there was food like he he lived life to the fullest and um again one of my favorite movies of his is, is we talked about it before only lonely where you know he he did that kind of a serious you know male uh lead actor role, uh, role. and um i get i can every movie he's in uh, i i enjoy to no matter what it is from if it's the whether it's you know like i said uncle buck great outdoors um he was great even in vacation he had that small role in vacation he, he was hilarious and everything he did he, it was he knocked it out of the park so he uh he goes on my list he's number four well, he's going to show up somewhere else on my list, so I'll get to him eventually. Okay. My number four, we spent a long time talking about this guy already, but my number four is Dom DeLuise. Um, 
Fatso holds a place in my heart that I don't think any other, you know, any other movie could ever really take the place of. And I also just think he had some, you know, I used to laugh a lot as a kid whenever he was on screen. And even just, I love watching old interviews of him on talk shows and things along those lines. Yeah. Like just, just there, the way they could play off each other or the way that he could kind of get a zinger in. Like I just, you know, I, we've said enough about Dom DeLuise, you know, for on my part today, but he holds the number four spot on my list. Well, is there anything better if you go watch old clips of the Tonight Show of Carson, mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds, and and you know it's funny Farley actually and Norm Macdonald did a parody of that. Where it's it's pretty. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's pretty funny. Definitely, definitely. Who's your number three man? Number three is Max Alexander. I talked about Max before, um, and I always, even as a kid, I, I again because you gravitate towards these people that you kind of see something in yourself. And when I when I first saw the movie Punchline. Um, I always wanted to be a stand-up comic from the time I was a kid. It was just something I knew I wanted to do. And I saw Punchline with Tom Hanks. And I didn't want to be Tom Hanks. I saw Max Alexander in this movie because I was a big guy. And even as a kid, I was heavier. And here's the heavy guy on stage. And I would see Max, you know, on TV. And then I got to know him as an adult and as a professional, as a peer. And Max is something really great. Uh, my first year in comedy, I decided to do a fundraiser. My mom had passed away in 2008. So on her birthday, this is a couple of years later, um, for her 50th birthday, I decided to do a, oh, sorry, I think it was her 50, 55th birthday, I decided to do a, a show. And Max came down and did a free spot. This guy is, I mean, made his money, he made his living doing comedy. And because we had we had a mutual friend who reached out to him, he came down and did this show for free, and we became friends from then. Um, and he always checked in on me, and uh, just a really good guy and really funny guy. If you haven't seen any of his stand up, go to YouTube, type in Max Alexander, and enjoy. There we go. My number three. Okay, so I put this guy in the third spot because I didn't want to put him closer to the top because I like pissing people off. Uh, I will say that. Um, and I also think uh, I'll explain it. So my number three is Chris Farley and my number three is Chris Farley. I'm diehard SNL, Chris Farley, like diehard, like, you know, the movie, he was in a lot of movies, but I kind of was like aged out in a lot of ways from like the, I just wasn't into those films at that time. You know, and I've gone back and seen a lot of his roles now and obviously think he's hilarious and think that he, you know, there he's an amazing person. And I don't think, you know, is anyone on this list better than anyone else? It's my personal list, uh, so I don't want I don't want you getting upset with me. Um, <laughs> but I, again, like I do kind of want to I do want to dig a little bit. You know, I've got age demographics, and when I've got the younger guests on, like he he may, he's their number one, and I'm always like, uh, so he is my number three. Okay. You know, I'm just gonna I'll leave it at that. Like I just think there's so many, like I just. Y- my favorite moments with him were almost like not even just the you know the skits on on SNL, but when he would yeah. show up on Weekend Update doing characters. Like that was I, he was the best. I, like I just feel like his character, like especially or Bennett, Bennett Brower. And when and when he would do the, I just also love when he would interview celebrities. The like those skits where you know, do you remember that time? You know, remember when you were Batman? That was awesome. I like when he, he told me, uh, remember that time that you were in the Beatles? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was great. That was that was <laughs> that was, that was awesome. awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was, so Chris Farley is my number three. So now we're getting to number two. Okay. Who is your number two? My number two is Artie Lang, mm. and for so many reasons. Um, 
One, I think Artie is absolutely hilarious. I was a fan of his uh, from the movies I saw of him, again, because you see a guy who looks like you in movies. There's a guy, you know, Italian guy from East Coast. Um, he was in these major motion pictures. And I really became an Artie Lang fan. I'm a, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. Like, um, Howard, to me, I've been listening to Howard since I, I was a kid, since I was six years old. And I, I originally wanted to do radio as well. Um, comedy and radio were the two things that growing up, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And when he got on to Howard, to me, my favorite years of Howard um, are the Artie Lang years. The show is, I think, the best uh, during that time. And his openness, his honesty, um, no matter how, what he was saying, I kind of spoke to me. And then reading his book, uh, his first book, Too Fat to Fish, there were so many similarities in, with his drugs and with my food. Like his, the way he his he was with his drug addiction was a very very close to how I was with my food addiction. And even my uh, my ex fiance at the time read the book and was like, "This is like you. Like you guys are like almost you know." And I, I just felt I I still feel like a very. I've never met Artie. I, I don't you know. I have friends that know him, but like I've never met him personally. Um, but I just feel very close to him in, in a way that I think we struggled the same way. You know, he lost his father. I lost my mother and that both threw us for, for loops that, you know, we still haven't probably recovered from. Um, you know, this day, my mom not being here is, is a big, uh, you know, hole and, and, and reason that I could, I, sometimes I slide. Um, and like with Artie, he said it, it's his, you know, it was his dad, uh, passing away that, you know, got, really got him crazy. So, um, but Artie is just because it's the whole thing. It's, it's the funny, it's, um, the radio talent and it's just the, the personal connection that, that, that I have. Um, I feel like we're very similar on certain things. Nice. My number two is going to be the, the lone stage comic that made it to my list. Okay. So... And I had a, I had several that almost made it to the top five, like several that almost made it there. Uh, for me, my number two, and it's a name we haven't mentioned yet. You know, we've 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 highlighted a couple oh, okay. other people before. For well, now me, I'm curious. My number two, my because this the first time I heard, uh, it was actually it was a CD. Those were old silver discs that you used to put into a music machine to make them play. That was my first exposure to him, and it's John Panette. And okay, John Panette. His routines cracked me up, but I also f heard myself in his comedy. Like when he, you know, he's got an amazing routine about the Wizard of Oz buffet in Vegas, which just, <laughs> it just, it cracks me up. Like he sings Wizard of Oz songs that he turns into like what's happening, you know, just, and then he's got, a, actually many of his routines are about buffets, which, you know, yeah. he, was a, he was a rather large gentleman, so it makes sense. But He's another one of these comedians that was taken from us too soon. But he, I also like, you know, I can say, where did I, you know, he, he has been on television. He was uh, on Seinfeld. You know, he was the big guy in the, the court situation that ended the series. So it's maybe it's not the best television appearance because there's a lot of not, not so much love for the end of Seinfeld. He was in some movies too. Yeah, he, oh, he was as well. But yeah. also he has a routine about, he called, talks about the Epcot death march. And going to going to Florida in the summer with his family and having to powder himself and the chafing and just walking in the, the dead. It's a, like I'll tell you, if you go to if you're a big guy who goes to Epcot, you realize that you hit a certain point in that park where there's no coverage. There's no shade. There's nothing. There's crowds and there's nowhere to stop. Yeah. 
And it, it literally is the Ep- – I've described it as the Epcot death march. And when he did that bit, I laughed more than I think I've ever laughed at something because instead I, I didn't want to cry about what that actually is like to go through. So he is someone who is just near and dear to me in terms of cracking me up. Like, and that's really kind of what I went to. Like, a, There was a part of me that was like, I've got some people on this list who crack me up, but like, he is someone who that – hit that one of his first big kind of like albums – I could listen to it again today and would just roll laughing. So have I, I'm you putting ever him seen Pinet live. I, I never had the opportunity to do that. Okay, My, a friend of mine was his opening act and writer. Mm. Um, very funny comedian by Tim named Tim Crumpier. If anybody ever you know again, if you're looking at people listening to this, Tim is absolutely hilarious. And Tim was his his opening act and, and wrote for him as well. And I heard a lot of great. And from what I heard about John Pinet, uh, class A human being, class act all the way. So. Uh, it's not, you know, it's it's good to see, like, you know, both sides of it. Like, you know, people admire him on stage as well, and he was just a great human being as well, too, uh, uh, besides being a great comic. Well, that is, is good to hear, because sometimes you find out people that, that make you laugh or you admire are, are, are garbage. So... That's what I'll say about me if I become yeah. famous. Like at Tito Medico. Oh, Very I've funny got, guy. But don't worry. I've, I've, got, I've got stories I'm waiting to sell to the networks. I've got stories. I've got many. I'm so, I'm so screwed if I become famous. You know, there's a, if, if you become famous, we know that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, no, no well, that's you. awful. That's really awful. <laughs> Uh, but you know, you know, you know, Jarps is laughing at that one, so he's enjoying. He'll enjoy yeah. that. If he may, let's be honest, he's not going to listen to this whole thing. No, he, he, he doesn't have the. Mental he's got capacity. way too much going on to sit down and listen to us for. He's got to pick out his next cologne. You know, he's, he's got it straight from hat. He's getting his know. hair done. You know, he's going to lock on. The Mets are going to all black jerseys again. He's got a lot on his plate. There's a lot of happening. With exactly, right he's got a lot going on. So, Anthony, your number one spot. Let's go. I kind of mentioned it already, Chris Farley. Um, I am flabbergasted. Well, I, I said it, you know, in the I beginning. Know. I, oh, when yeah. I, I, I was captivated with him the, the moment I, I saw him on TV. Um, I started watching Saturday Night Live, and every week he was the funniest. I mean, even just something, a, a skit that pops out to me all the time, and no one ever remembers this, Jeff Goldblum hosted. And he did a skit where he was, like, dancing. They called him the Idiot. And at the end, Chris Farley just jumps out and goes, do the idiot! And he starts dancing like him. And it just those he just took everything to the next level. Um, and I know it's the popular pick. Uh, a lot of guys, like, see, you know, because of the movies and everything. But that I grew up in that time. Like, when Tommy Boy came out, I was, like, 15, 16 years old. We went, me and my friends went and saw it. And, like, these movies came out every year. And we would go see them. And he was, he was my guy. Chris Farley was my guy. Uh, and... I was very I was crushed when he passed away in 2000, in 2000 I said, uh, sorry, 1997. I just, I just uh, had graduated from uh, high school at that. I think I graduated, 90, I'm sorry, I think he died in 98, 97, 98, whatever it was. Yeah, I, I think was, it was around that. I think I was just, I was just out of high school and it, it crushed me. I, I, I was literally crushed. It, it, nothing, you know, I don't think a celebrity death has hit harder um, than that. Um, but he was my one of my big inspirations uh, for wanting to get into show business and and for for wanting to make people laugh was because every week I tuned into Saturday Night Live and I've never watched it like I did then. I, and and it, the whole cast was amazing. Like, you know, Adam Sandler, David Spade, and Rob Schneider. But like I watched Chris Farley, and when he left Saturday Night Live, I stopped watching it. And I've always went back and forth and watching it, but. 
never religiously would I be in front of the television at 1130 on a Saturday um, than the years that Chris Farley was on. So to me, Chris Farley is number one. Understood. I'm going to see Farley and I'm going to meet you at number one with John Candy. You know, I'm going to I'm going to I put him in my number one spot. You know, I've said it a hundred times on this show, at least, you know, I'm. I think this is going to be the 120th episode, so at least 100 times I've probably said it. But for me, just I, because for me, even my early John Candy exposure isn't even film. It was late night reruns of SCTV, at you know, which was the Canadian Saturday Night Live, um, basically, you know, for lack of a better term, and just seeing him in in sketch comedy, but then also seeing him show up in in film roles and, you know, Uncle Buck. Like you said, vacation jumps out to, you know, him, the, the image of him on the roller coaster and vacation is just, you know, forever burned, you know, into my memory. Like there's just so much, you know, about him that I, we've, we've already gone on enough, but for him, for me, he is the number one. And again, this, the sad part, I think looking at our list and like looking at a lot of this is this idea that, you know, we look at, there's these people that were these incredible talents that were taken us too soon, taken from us too soon for whatever reasons, you know, some of them dealing with drug issues, some of them dealing with issues that were directly related to their health. You know, it's, what is it? What's the bittersweet, you know, to reflect on, on a lot of these experiences, I think, but yeah, for me at the end of the day, um, it's going to be John Candy sits in that number one spot. Very respectable. I mean, I mean, I, I like I said, we, the, you, you name, I didn't, you know, I, Panette, I love John Penn. I, you know, got, he would come to Long Island and sell out the week, like literally the, the week from like Sunday to, to the next week, two shows a night, like he would, every night, two shows a night sold out. And that to me was a, was a powerhouse of a comic that forget about weight as success as comedic. You want that you want, you want to attain that. So um, I had had, I didn't have him, uh, I had, a, it's tough to get five, five names and it's, um, and I had to trim a little bit. Dom DeLuise was up there with me as well. Um, but I don't remember him as much early. Like he wasn't a big of influence. Um, but he was definitely up there, but, uh, it's, it's hard. Top 10 would have been much easier. <laughs> Which is why I did top five. Cause I knew we could do, I knew we could do a top 10. You know, yeah. I'm sure we could fill that. Maybe someday we'll do a bonus where we get our, you know, we get to, we give people six through 10. We'll we name every fat guy mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and that'll just be two hours of us listing. We'll be like, yeah. who you got alphabetical. Let's go. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I want to thank you for, for coming on and kind of sharing this experience. You know, this, oh, this first thanks. time kind of diving into something topical. I think we talked on a lot of, we talked thank on a you. lot of different things and maybe we went off in too many different directions, but hopefully people will kind of get something out of this idea of diving into this concept that some of us know really well and some people might not relate to at all but if, if you have ever felt like that you fell into that that funny fat guy role know that there are other people out there that stand beside you and have gone through similar experiences and understand what it's like when you start to feel like that experience goes away um you know you you're 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 literally shrinking on stage so i i'm just excited to see what comes next to you because i know your comedy is about a lot more than just 583 pounds uh, yeah, I've, I've been 580 pounds a long time. But... <laughs> like, no, sure? it is, it's, uh, it's been a little while. You know what? We have Give another pandemic. Take. I might be there. Uh-huh. Give, no. <laughs> Let's nod and say we did. No, I'm just saying, uh, no. But yeah, no, it's not about it. It's about getting from there. I mean, I talk about my life. So, I mean, that 
weight loss has become a big part of my life. So that that's in there. Um, but it does talk about other things too. I talk about like my, my nephews and my, my niece and my brother and my, my dad, um, and just my bad relationships, um, everything, everything in between. Of so, course. uh, I got, I can't wait to come out to, to where you are and, uh, hopefully get a show there and, uh, we could, uh, I could show you how unfunny I am. And that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. enjoy all 10 minutes of that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's really all, all there is to it. <laughs> Well, Anthony, if anyone has stayed with us for, you know, we're going on almost an hour and a half now. Where are we at? Yeah, we're, we're getting close. If they do want to connect with you and either see the funny haha or listen to your podcast or just see what you're doing. I mean, you're in the middle of a challenge that you set for yourself right now, 75 on. Yeah. Um, where do they track you down, man? You can find me on Instagram at ComicAnthonyD, uh, where uh, I'm usually posting all my nonsense. Uh, or you can listen to the podcast at, at www.podcast.podbean.com. Again, on it's on iTunes and every other podcast uh, platform. Uh, so definitely check that out. And uh, you can search the archives. Gormie has been on a few times. And my favorite episode still is when all three of us when oh, we yeah. came to Rhode Island. Me, you, um, and the other guy. Yeah. I mean, he, we just had to have him. I need someone to drive me there. So it was him. Oh, what do you do? <laughs> You would not have learned about John's love for jerky if you hadn't no, spent that, that time that is, You know what? Uh, that was the first time I ever met him. And, right. Um, I, I said to I remember I said that's how he got the nickname Cuzzy. If you follow me on Instagram, you follow John. You see, we call, I call him Cuzzy all the time. As I said to Gorman, I said, "What's the over under on the time I hear how much Cuzzy I hear on, on the way to this trip?" Because you know, if I listen to his stories, I'm like, "Hey, Cuzzy, what's going on? What are we doing? Are we gonna go here?" And he just seemed like a typical Long Island uh, bro. And, um, so I gave him the nickname, I started calling him Cuzzy and, uh, it's, it's stuck and, uh, people probably get annoyed by it, but it makes me laugh. I don't care. Hey, sometimes we got to do things that make ourselves laugh, right? At the end of the yeah. day, because if you're not funny to anyone, to yourself, how on earth are you going to be funny to anyone else? Very true. Very true. Well, Anthony, I just want to say a big thank you again for coming on the show one more time. You know, we'll have thank to find, we'll, we'll find another reason for you to come on eventually, I'm sure. But for right now... Uh, I'm going to put links to all of your social and everything in the show notes for everyone to catch you and make sure that you do. Okay. And no, go ahead. Hello. Say thank you. Oh, yeah. just, oh yeah. that's thank so kind for, of you. Yeah. Um, I don't expect a lot of, I don't, I don't, well, me. it's so surprising to get kindness from you. So, you know, it's, I don't know what to, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to handle that. Like, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure how to handle that. Like I, you know, I'm gonna yeah, I threw you off for a second. You're like, whoa, he's thanking me. That's uh... I, I, now I'm like, am I, am I getting killed? Am I? I'm not going to go. Yeah, I, I secretly fly out to, to where you are, and I'm behind that, that tree over there, the very large tree. Well, I mean, there are several here, so I, you can yeah. handle it. You can handle it. So yeah. I just really want to say a big thank you again for coming on the show, everyone. His information will be in the show notes. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at GourmetGoesKeto. You can get me on Twitter at GourmetGoesKeto. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And like I said, if you are interested in picking another topic for us to discuss, I feel like there are some other ones like we want to talk, you know, I've had some people suggest we talk about relationships and things along those lines. If you want to be a part of the group that gets to help shape the direction of the show when it comes to these special episodes, go to the patreon.com slash GourmetGoesKeto, sign up and get involved. So just thank you, my friends. Remember, go out there today. And even if there's an airplane overhead, do something amazing because you are the most amazing people I know. And then come on back and catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.